Hey team, welcome back to the show. Today it is Andrea and I for another Q&A. Andrea, how has your week been? My week has been good. It's been a very fast week. Um, my son turned 10 this week. So on Tuesday, rather than doing calls and stuff, I just kind of blocked off calls for that day and we went and did like everything that he wanted to do. So that made the day just like absolutely fly by. And then my other days are check-in days and those always go really fast just because they're busier. Um, so I feel like this week just kind of like I blinked and it has it's almost over at this point. Um, but it's been really good. Uh, no changes in terms of nutrition or training or anything. I've just kind of steadily, um, seen it's, I, I wouldn't even say a decrease on the scale. It's, it's kind of hovered around the same number actually, but it hasn't like spiked up or anything like that, except for this morning, which I think is pretty explained just by like the phase I'm in in my cycle. Um, but still making good progress there and feeling like I'm getting leaner, which is always nice. Um, training, everything is the same. I started the extra core work last week and that's been fun because there's been so many people that are kind of engaged with that on right. Instagram. Um, so that's been fun. I, I'm just really interested to see like a month down the road, what pictures look like, if there's any difference. Because mm -hmm. I've, like I mentioned last week, I've done this before, but I'll be less consistent and I'll do like vacuums for a bit, but then only do those for like a month. And I don't have the additional core work in my training along with it. So um, just with all those pieces together, I'm curious to see how much difference that makes. What do you think it is that at work is typically <laughs> like one of the hardest things to be consistent with? Man. I would say it's like the, the lack of immediate feedback, but that's with everything with fitness yeah. and, and everybody wants abs too. You know, it's interesting yeah. that it's so much harder if, of a, so much more. I don't know if it's like, because it's, it's just interesting. I, I just think it's boring. You can't yeah. like see the week to week progressions mm -hmm. like you can with say like a chest press or something like that. Like you can try and beat your reps from last week. And with core work, I don't, it just doesn't really work the same way because like you're, you're not truly going to like, I mean, you are going to muscular failure, but it's just so much different than it is unless you're doing like a weighted crunch or cable crunch or something like that. But like with those TVA like squeezes, <laughs> right? It, I'm not like quantifying it as much. I don't know. It's just it's just boring to me, and it's such like a small movement. It, it's it's like an isometric on some of them, and I don't know. It's just it's just not as fun as the rest of the training. And I think that most people probably feel that way. Yeah. Cool. Well, it'll be interesting to see the progress that you make from that. As far as your fat loss phase. Um, do you have an idea of like how much longer you guys are wanting to push or like how much leaner you're wanting to get from here? I would <laughs> like to get to maybe around like 145 and hold there. Um, I don't know how much longer I, I, I haven't, um, really talked through that with Austin okay. at all about like how, how long I'm going to stay in this phase or if we're going to like take diet breaks and get back into it or anything like that. I'm just very much following the plan one week mm -hmm. at a time. <laughs> um, I appreciate that. How much, how far are you from 145? I'm at like 151 point something most mornings right okay. now. 
Okay. Yeah. So what you're like halfway there, right? From where you started? Yeah. That about right? Okay. Okay. I don't cool. Um, well, I'm interested to keep following that. Are you hungry? Anything like that? Do you feel like you've like noted? Do you feel like you're in a diet? Uh, I definitely feel like I'm in a diet. I'm a little bit hungry. Um, it's not anything too bad at all. It's super manageable. Um, this week, and this could be completely unrelated, but this week I've noticed a couple of days, like my body just feels kind of tired. Um, and I felt a little bit more grumpy (laughs) the last couple of days that could be completely unrelated. We've also had some sleep disturbances with like Tate has come in the room a couple of nights overnight. And, um, then one night I just kind of like laid there in the middle of the night, not really able to go back to sleep. So it very well could just be that I didn't sleep well. And that's, that's why. Yeah. So I don't know. But other Hmm. than that, it's like, I don't feel bad at all. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Right on. Yeah. I feel like things like that, it's hard to like, I don't feel like until I get extremely lean, I don't feel like my sleep really, I ever start to have issues, but that seems a very, a decent amount from person to person. Yeah. And I don't really think that mine was related to, I mean, there was just like that one night. And so I feel like if it, if it was related to the diet, it would be more than just one night where I was having the sleep disturbances. The other nights it was just literally Tate was coming in the room and it wasn't okay. anything that was like my body waking me up. Fair enough. Okay. Right on. Good. Well, I'm I'm interested to see how the TVA stuff goes, especially that'll be cool to see because I know you've been consistent with that. That'll be cool to see like what yeah. changes you notice after a month or several months. Yeah. Um, already I feel like some soreness in that area, mm-hmm. which is never anything that I've had before. So like if I've done TVA work in the past, I'll feel, um, I mean, like I'll feel it in the moment that I'm doing it, but usually any ab soreness I have is more like in the obliques or upper abs and those lower abs are just kind of dead. So to feel some soreness or fatigue there is actually really cool for me because I know that I'm like engaging them better and I'm getting better at it. Oh, absolutely. And that's an important point too. Like soreness isn't something that we want to chase, but if it's like, if it's a muscle group, that has been a weakness for you or something you've struggled to grow in the past or like in your, in this case, like engage, right. Or we know like maybe your TVA is weak, which is very, very common. Suddenly like experiencing more soreness, there is a good sign that like, Hey, we put mm-hmm. more tension on that muscle. Right. And we probably are like, there is an increase in stimulus there. Cool. Okay. Well, th- that'll be fun to see. And it's cool that you're like taking progress pictures and recording all this. Well, also, um, anything else out there? Uh, no. Okay. How's your cool. week been? It has been good. Um, so just wrapped up the mini cut as of yesterday. So uh, four weeks, what we went from two, three and a half to I was the last three days have been 191.4192 flat. Then I was like 191 and a half again today. So right around 12 pounds down, we ended up in uh, three or four weeks, excuse me. So I mean, right around like crazy. Yeah. What is that like right around? like between one and 1.5% of body weight loss per week. I think I'm pretty close to like that 1.5% actually. I don't know why that math is so hard for me right now, but yeah, that's like three pounds a week, I guess. So yeah, like basically right at 1.5% of body weight per week, which is about like what you would aim for in a short three to four week mini cut. So I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm super happy with how it went. Um, I definitely feel a lot leaner and it's cool that I'm like, I'm basically right back where I was when I started my building phase and it's cool that after again, like five to six months of eating so much more and like seeing yourself slowly get fluffier, always having that reminder that it's like, 
I can literally get back there in four weeks. Um, that's always helpful. So it feels nice to just like, oh, dope. I'm already back there and starting this over again. Um, the last week, so we were heading, we went back to Nebraska for our wedding shower, which was just chaos. Not not our actual wedding shower, but like manage, uh, managing all of like my like getting my steps in and my cardio and things like that, where it was like Friday, we got up at 4 a.m., left for the airport at 4.45. Um, and I thought, of, I thought about getting up before that and doing my cardio. And I was like... I don't know how much more of my sleep I want to sacrifice there. And then it was like, we were on the plane. We drove an hour to see my brother, drove another three hours, went to a wedding, drove another three hours home, and then like lost a couple hours in that process. And then I was like midnight and I was like, shit, I still have to get my cardio in. So um, my parents fortunately have a treadmill and they have a pretty decent home gym actually. So it was like just things like that, like all it, because then it was like, okay, so do my cardio until like 1am then the next morning. Um, we have to drive like another four hours to Katie's. And then it was like, it was just like constantly like so much like driving and like our flights and whatnot to where it was like, I think I slept like four to six hours every night, which was not ideal. Um, but I mean, like from a steps perspective, cardio perspective, I still made everything happen from a nutrition perspective. I still, I actually like was under eight a bit intentionally um, just to, to remove any risk of like measurement error so it was on it like from a nutrition perspective i think that was the easiest thing to manage out of everything honestly um but yeah i still like not how uh, the most ideal scenario to end it whereas like the first three weeks it was just like me at home just doing my own thing but it's again like stuff like that will happen and it's important to be yeah. adaptable and still like i think it's so easy in situations like that to just be like well fuck it like this is harder than i'm used to to manage it right so I'm just going to fall, like not follow the plan. And it's again, like there's still, you still have a choice in so many of those situations, which is again, like still, it was, it definitely was different and harder than the last three weeks, but still like I stuck to it. Um, and I'm, I'm again, very happy with the result I achieved. So from there, I'm also excited to, I'm I've been hungry again for sure. So I'm excited to be eating more food again. And we are just going to be kind of entering another lean gains phase. And I think this is only going to be what our wedding is only like, four and a half months away now i think so um i think we're only going to be doing like another 12 to i think it's only like 12 to 14 weeks is what he has planned to like be in a slight surplus again and then pull things back a bit more to make sure that um to just like get ready for the wedding and whatnot so yeah i'm if really happy with how the mini cut went but excited to move on to the next phase as well how long how many weeks were you in the build at first um, I think it was like right around six months. Oh, okay. Between five so and quite six a bit months. longer than what you will be coming up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And that's of course like not ideal. Like we don't ever give like, Hey, this is going to be a 12 week building phase. We're not going to get that much done, but it's also like for someone, it, again, I don't, in normal circumstances, we will want longer than that. But also if it's like, hey, you have a wedding coming up very similarly, it's like, let's get yeah. what we can out of that time. And then again, if we want to get you a little bit leaner for the wedding, great. Well, I also think of mini cuts as just like part of the building phase. So this is kind of like mm -hmm. a continual, a continuation of the initial six months. So it's not like just a 12 month building phase. You're kind of following up on the the initial months that you spent in that is that how you kind of think about it or yeah no i always think about it the yeah. same way as well it's not really like again it's 
we don't typically use mini cuts as part of fat loss, but rather to um, just allow for more time building. So I still kind right. of think of it as, yeah, a continuation of the building phase. Yeah. Cool. You ready to get into some questions? Ready. All right. I know you have more. So yeah, take it away. All right. Can you grow your back without deadlifts? Can you grow your back without deadlifts? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't consider deadlifts a great movement for right. building your back. Um, I know there's a lot of like a lot of people that have jacked backs can deadlift a lot. Right. But I don't know if that's necessarily. They're also probably very strong on a lot of other movements that involve their back as well. Um, so, I mean, if you look at like what makes a movement effective for hypertrophy, a lot of it is going to be like these repeated contractions and control the centrics, right? A repeat, like a concentric and eccentric component, right? Whereas if we look at like your deadlift, within the deadlift, what your back is doing basically is all just an isometric hold, right? So it's very similar to like isometric isometrics consistently have we've seen in the research just don't seem to be all that effective for building muscle tissue. You can do it in like an isometric hold and it will, um, it will like burn over time, but again, it's not going to be extremely effective for hypertrophy. Um, so, I mean, yeah, for sure. Like you can do, you can definitely build. I mean, if we, again, like with our lats, like how are we going to most effectively train our lats? It's probably going to be doing like variations of rowing and pull down where we're driving our elbows close to our hips um or our upper back again it's going to be kind of a more flared arm path where we're really like the the rhomboids their role is really going to be moving our scapula around a rib cage right so where we're kind of like initiating by pulling our hands apart and squeezing our shoulder blades together at the back of the movement right where yeah there's uh absolutely there's so many good options i wouldn't i don't consider deadlifts even like a part of your back training if you're programming it programming it i wouldn't like on the flip side, I wouldn't like program like a lot of lat work or upper back work before having someone do like a Romanian deadlift because their back will be fatiguing and it could be the rate limiter. And you, yeah, you will like feel your back working, but it's, uh, I don't know. I think it's pretty similar to like our deadlifts a good like or exercise and like they will increase as a whole, like, yes, they will improve your core stability but they're not going to be like a great movement for your rectus abdominis because your rectus abdominis is going to be um, going to be responsible for final spinal flexion, right? So actually flexing and rounding your spine, right? And we're within that, we're typically not like training that in a deadlift. So it's, yeah, I wouldn't really consider them part of back training. Definitely not an essential. Again, that'll be a little bit of added stimulus to your back, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about it if you're not deadlifting and it's typically not something we program ever for yeah. as far as like building your back. What are your thoughts on that? So what are your favorite back exercises? Assuming everyone, someone has like a full commercial gym. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would want really, it's going to be about with our, with lats. I mean, to really get into it, it you could divide your lats up into a couple regions. So you have the iliac lead region, the lumbar region, and the thoracic region, right? So iliac kind of being the lower lat. So really, it's helpful to kind of think that like the lengthened range for your iliac or lower lat is going to be the shortened range for your upper pec, right? And like 
kind of the lats and the pecs are more or less the same muscle to an extent, but just on different sides of your body, right? So one short is the other lengthened, right? So then if you're like, if you think about like, okay, for an incline bench press, like when my, or like an incline, like cable press, for example, where you can really kind of pull your elbow across your body. Um, and that's more so like to where your bicep is almost in alignment with your nose. That is going to be like a lengthened lower lat or iliac lat, right? So something where like we really, and again, like working through like, do we want to be able to train this in the lengthened and shortened position? I really like for lats, like something where it's again, like your elbow, like in the lengthened or stretched position, your bicep is almost by your nose here. Again, that'll really, and it's, we're actually coming across the body. That'll really allow us to lengthen the lat a little bit more, which again, seems to be beneficial for hypertrophy. Um, I'm kind of getting way off of the weeds here, but I do like something like that, where we can really, um, again, stretch that arm, stretch across our body a bit and lengthen that, that a bit more. So something yeah. like, think so like, like a, a single arm iliac yeah, pull like, down. Yeah. Like a single arm cable pull down. I really like, um, another movement that I really like for lats and this, you can do, if you do it kneeling again, it's more of that lower lat. If you do it standing, it's more of like a lumbar lat. So more like in the middle of your back. Um, is going to be like a step back hammer strength throw where you have one arm against the pad. You don't have your chest against the pad. Normally you'll see people do this move with their chest against the pad and do it both arms at the same time. But if you do again, arm against the, or hand against the pad, you're stepped back at about an arm's length from there. Then the resistance profile of that it's going to actually be harder in the length and position. Um, and it kind of falls off. It gets easier as we get weaker, which will be us getting closer to the shore in position. So I'd say that's those two are probably two of my favorite lat movements alongside. Um, I really just like like a, a mid, so right outside of shoulder width, neutral grip lat pull down. For most people, that's a movement that's really easy to set up and execute. Um, and then similarly, like a cable row, where again our hands are about shoulder width apart, we have a neutral grip and a slight forward lean on our torso. I'll normally call that a lumbar lat row. Um, I would say like out of all lat movements, those are a couple I program most frequently and then i really like a neutral grip pull up for a lot of people as well um and then as far as upper back goes and there'll be a lot of care over to lats here as well but just like a wide grip lat pull down is one i really like um if anyone has like a good chest supported for some if someone has like a chest supported t-bar row with a wide grip i really like that as well what what would you go with there anything i didn't touch on um no, I was thinking all of those same movements. Actually, I was thinking T-bar row was the one I was going to add. And then you <laughs> threw that in there at the id. But yeah, I really like all of those. The chest supported T-bar row um, specifically. So not like the old school one where you like stand on the platform and. Yeah, I don't, love a, <laughs> I, I don't love a T-bar row that's not chest supported. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I really like all of those movements. My favorite one ever was that prime pull down machine that we used in Scottsdale where like you, the chest pad angle back that one was really awesome but nobody's gonna have access to that one unfortunately <laughs> gotta make the move to scottsdale i didn't love that one actually <laughs> really you know, oh yeah. it was great i loved it uh, uh, um cool uh can a newbie start in a surplus 300 calories and get a better partitioning to muscle better than someone that's more advanced I would say better, like, is it better to be in a surplus? I think they're, yeah, I think they're asking, does a newbie get better in nutrient partitioning? Mm. Um, so I would, 
I wouldn't say that they get better nutrient partitioning. Um, I would actually think that a newbie is probably going to get worse nutrient partitioning because the skill of training is just not there just yet. For a newbie, it takes a while most times for them to just have everything dialed in with training intensity. So pushing close enough to failure with the right form and like really being able to engage the muscle really well. Um, like you can have somebody do a um, tricep push down that's brand new and they're like, feeling it all over the place. You know what I mean? Like they're not really engaging just the tricep and and squeezing with the tricep and um, then like lengthening, focusing on, on lengthening that muscle. So because of that, I actually would think that their nutrient partitioning wouldn't be quite as good, but a newbie does get better muscle gains than someone that's more advanced just because the stimulus is going to be so novel to them. So you can do something that's maybe not a hundred percent optimal training and still get good gains just because you haven't lifted in that way in the past. Um, for a newbie, I would actually not have you do a surplus. Um, like the 300 calories is really specific. So that, that would vary based on the person as well, but even, um, being in a surplus, I would probably not do that and just keep it closer to a maintenance intake for a while, just to make sure that all of those training variables are dialed in. And we've got like your form looking really good. Your training intensity is looking really good and you can still make great progress building muscle there because you are new. And then after that, you can assess, okay, now do I have more runway to build more muscle? And then at that point you would get into a calorie surplus or at that point, after being at maintenance for a while and building muscle there, do you have more runway for fat loss? And it would be more advantageous to get into a, a calorie deficit. What do you think on that? Yeah, that's a good answer. I was going to disagree with you at first, but um, <laughs> once you, I, I agree. I mean, if we look at it, like in theory, should a newbie get better nutrient partitioning? than someone that's more advanced. Yes. Right. That person, a newer trainee can gain muscle muscle quicker than someone who is more advanced. So for that same amount of calories, like if again, like someone in a same size, yada, 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 like the same person, identical twins, but one is more advanced, which this doesn't really make sense, I guess. But, um, anyways, they're both on the 300 calorie surplus that beginner, because they're going to be able to gain more muscle, like more of that is going to be muscle gain versus fat gain. Whereas for the more advanced client, that wouldn't be the case. But as you said, like in theory, like on paper, that's how it works out. But I know we've talked about this a lot where more often than not, someone who's a newbie, like that's like you come in and you're a newbie, but you are just, you execute incredibly well. You're so good at pushing to failure. Like that doesn't actually happen very often in applications. So I think a lot of times what happens is again, like people just enter a building phase or, and it's like, I need to be in a surplus to build more muscle. But again, the training isn't there to support that. And then it's like, well, I just gained a lot of body fat. Right. And then it's well, and then it, people kind of have this fear of eating more. So again, like, yeah, I, I, I agree. Like in theory, yes, you should. If your training is, if truly like your training and isn't, is in a great place, your execution, your intensity, all those things are in a great place. Yeah. You would get better nutrient partitioning. But again, like I, as you said, I think for like most everyone that we see who is like in that quote unquote newbie phase, it does make more sense to spend more time at maintenance 
um, and just like try to build there for a bit until we really have those variables dialed in. Because again, a lot of times that surplus of calories like isn't productive and we just see that individual or we would see that individual gain more fat. So it sounds like we're on the same page there. Yeah. Okay, cool. Anything else to add there? Next, uh, no. Okay, Next question. Awesome. Yep. Uh, this one is pretty similar to, um, you kind of touched on this in the first answer, but do you feel the burn type exercises, for example, a wall sit actually build muscle or just a test of willpower? Yeah, I would say they're mostly a test of willpower. Um, it's just like, again, it's just an isometric hold, which again, so much of like, again, if we look at the re- a lot of the research around muscle growth, we know first and foremost, or not necessarily foremost, but we know one of the most important variables is going to be, we need to be able to take that tissue close to failure, right? And a lot of movements, like, again, like, uh, we might on a wall to get to the point where we feel like our quads actually fail. Um, but um, from there but still like for a lot of isometric movements, like a plank, even like a lot of people don't actually fail in a plank, right. It's just like, I'm bored of sitting in a plank. Yeah. I think like the vacuums are a much, much easier movement to actually like feel like you're failing on next. Again, we know that like that lengthening or stretch of the muscle seems to be pretty important. So if you look at like a wall sit, you're just kind of hanging out in the mid range. We're not really like ever lengthening or stretching it. Um, and then I would actually have to review the mechanisms, but again, there's like with those, with the concentric. So again, like the contraction, the shortening and lengthening of the muscle, some shit about how these, the muscle fibers or something like that cross over each other. And that's, do you remember the mechanisms to explain it better oh, than I do? Uh, yeah, it's, I would basically explain it just like you did <laughs> something about the, the, them like contracting against each other. I don't remember the exact right. way to um, explain it in a smart way. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, the concentrics and the eccentric component. So again, like those basically like actually taking the muscle through a decently decent range of motion, contracting and releasing essentially. That's an, an important part of muscle growth. So really like isometric holds, they're a good, there's almost like a good, I don't know if placebo is actually even the right word. Like, yes, it you'll feel the burn, but it really doesn't do much as far as muscle growth. Um, what do you think just, about for mind muscle connection, like, a was, like, like posing flexing that's, that can mm-hmm. improve my muscle connection. Yeah. Um, I don't think that there's like not value to it again. Like, you know, like something that like Julie and Natalie both uses like the glute bridge where it's like, we do a 10 second hold. Is it the first rep? Yeah. Um, and again, like it's, you might feel your glutes working more there. Right. And I think there could still be similar to like pre-exhausting, for example, yeah. like, I still think even if we're not like necessarily admit, like more beneficial for hypertrophy, right. Or even like for a lot of my clients who like, still like, I don't like feel my glutes working in this movement. If it's again, even in theory, like, yes, we could, um, say if you're going, if you were executing the movement correctly, then your glutes are working. Don't worry about it. Still, I find it beneficial to like, Hey, maybe we want to sequence a glute bridge first. Right. And I think it's almost kind of a similar idea. And then it going into the next movement, your glutes will be a little bit more fatigued and you'll feel them more. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be more beneficial for hypertrophy, but again, there's something that that like placebo that can get people excited about. And it's kind of the same thing. I think with like isometrics, or as you said, like 
I know I don't ever, I've never like prescribed someone like, Hey, pose specifically to improve the mind muscle connection in this area. Um, but I think there's some, I mean, I still think there's some merit to like in those instances, it's still not something that I use very frequently, specifically like honestly, isometrics, I don't use like at all. Do you? No, no, but I, I think it's correlation, but probably not causation to where like most people that can that have a big chest for example like guys that have a big chest they can flex it like they can sit there and like isometrically contract like one side and then the other and do like that peg pop thing that you like (laughs) and those are the kind of people that are able to better grow their pecs because they have that better mind muscle connection and there's time spent in like that isometric hole, just like practicing connecting to it. So it's like, okay, do they just naturally have a better mind muscle connection there? And so they can, or they've worked on that mind muscle connection. And so they can grow their chest better, or do they have large chest muscles from working them? And so then therefore they can flex them better. I would, I would think that it's probably a bit of both. Because if you, if you say like you've practiced flexing your bicep for years or whatever, like you're a little kid, just like flexing your bicep all the time. And then you go to build biceps and now you can actually like control the weight with your bicep better versus maybe getting your front delt involved or swinging it a little more or something like that. And so you can get more tension on the muscle because of that. I think that it could have some carryover, but I don't think that isometrics like wall sits or those kind of feel the burn exercises really have much value. (laughs) Yeah. I think that it's kind of like, I think it's almost like supplements from my perspective where was it, I think it was the hypertrophy coach. I remember him a long time talking about like, maybe you just don't feel your glutes because you're, you have like weak, small glutes was basically the (laughs) idea, right? Where it's, yeah. Maybe it's because you spend so much time like trying to feel your glutes and you're never actually like focusing on progressive overload with these challenging exercises. To yeah. me, that's a lot more. Now, again, I think that can be easy to, for people to take that as just like, okay, well, I need to get stronger. And then like the execution isn't in place. But you probably, again, like a lot of on the same token with like things like glutes, for example, like a lot of times what I'll see is with glutes, this is the most common, right? Like I think of several clients where it was with a Smith machine reverse lunge. I don't feel my glutes, right? And they want to develop their glutes. I feel like my glutes aren't working. It's like, okay, that's fine. You're executing this well. Your glutes are going to be working in the movement. All I want you to do is just continue to get focused on getting stronger with this, right? And then it takes patience, but like five to six weeks later, it's like as they've every week, like been able to add a bit of load or some reps, suddenly it's an incredible movement for their for yeah. their glutes they feel it so much more right it's like the best pump the best disruption so i think there's also a lot of merit to that too where it's like you first like look at your execution in the movement second look at the intensity of the movements where you don't feel like feel the muscle working like are you training it third like are we doing enough work for that muscle throughout the week um and then from there i feel like way down my list would be like let's do these little things to potentially improve my muscle connection. I I like, I, in theory, I understand it, but I don't think that it's like an application. I think it's so far from like the top priority for most people. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. Just trying to think of what sort of carryover that could have. 
Yeah. But yeah, I agree. Okay, cool. Um, do you do any coaching in your local areas? Uh, I think she's asking, like, do we do in-person coaching actually? Like in our local areas? No, <laughs> all online. That would be, that would be extremely difficult at this point to just time-wise and schedule-wise manage, but we all started out in person, right? Mm-hmm. Did Julie? Yeah. Oh, she did too. Okay. Yeah. yeah we all started out in person. Um, and I think that that is like a great way of getting started because it would be kind of difficult to get started immediately online and just like never coach someone through anything in person, like with eyes on them. But, um, yeah, at this point, no, I do have clients that are pretty close to me in proximity, but that's just kind of happened that way. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think the one thing I see with like coaches who just immediately jump to coaching people online is they don't like expect their clients to be real people. Now, again, like we, I feel like we set super high standards for our clients. And I think we do like push people quite a bit harder than like a lot of coaches do push their gym pop clients. But that's also, again, like a big part of the population that we attract. They're already more advanced people who want um, a more advanced result. Right. So, but that said, I think at the same time, it's like, um, I think working with people in person, it kind of forces you to actually like, you just see so much more of the person in front of you. And it's so much easier to understand that person and like what their lives are like, even like what their mindsets are like and things of that nature versus like online. If you don't know what to ask again, like they're only sharing people are typically I don't know if this is necessarily true, but especially like if you haven't built a good relationship yet, they're typically only sharing what you're asking of them. So a lot of times I feel like it's, again, if you like just, no, I know there are some, I think there's some coaches that have like successfully jumped just right into the online side of things and done well. Um, but I really feel like it's, it was beneficial to start coaching in person. But yeah, as you said, I mean, we work with people all over the world. We have a ton of clients in the Phoenix area. Um, that said, we don't work in person. It's great to meet up with our clients wherever we go. But I also think that it allows us to like give so much more comprehensive of a service the way we approach things. Like, um, it's always interesting to me. Like, I know there's a decent amount of like potential clients I'll talk to who it's like, oh, well, I want to go with like, I think I want to go with someone in my area. So I'm just going to like go to this coach at my local gym. Right. And it's like, mm, that's. <laughs> Uh, it's just uh, so often I think like in that local where it's just like, if we're just going based on proximity, it's so often like so many coaches just go into the, so many like in-person trainers, especially just like on the fly, like going into the session, they're just making up, okay, what are we going to do? What's something that would make the client like quote unquote feel like they got a good workout in, right? And then from there, it's like, okay, cool. I'll see you at like this time next week. And that's basically it, Right. Or like, how was your, how was your diet? Good. Okay, good. <laughs> cool. Let's talk about it again next week. Right. And it's, again, there's not like, how are we measuring your progress every week? Um, are we actually assessing that your body is changing? Are we actually like keeping log books and things like that to make sure you're truly getting stronger? Right. There's oftentimes like no progress pictures, no other forms of measurement, not looking at biofeedback, things like your digestion, your sleep, your stress, not getting into nutrition at all, which is like, has such an important piece of people's results 
And it's so much more expensive too. It just like, to me, yeah. it's, it's a great, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine because I've had conversations like that. And it's like, I am so sorry. You just made that decision. But <laughs> um, anyways, anything else to add there? <laughs> no, I think we're in agreement on that. Okay, cool. What you got next? If goal to add muscle, lose fat, but at upper 20s body fat percentage, recomp at maintenance or cut first? Um, and I'm guessing this is a female client or person. Uh, yes, it looks like it. Okay, okay. Um, body fat percentage in the upper 20s, the goal is to lose fat and build muscle. Well, you're not, yeah. you're not gonna, if you're at maintenance, yeah, go fat loss. If you want to lose fat and build muscle, if you're at maintenance, you're not going to lose fat, right? Again, if we keep your body fat the same and you are at maintenance and you're just building muscle, which is very feasible. If you're new to this, like we talked about before, you will see some recomp because again, like the ratio of muscle mass to fat mass is improving. So you'll look leaner, but you're not actually going to lose any, you like, you won't lose a pound of body fat until we actually get into a deficit. So in that situation, I would just enter a fat loss phase again. Like I think at the same time, I think that it's, I think that still, unless you're training extremely well, um, I think that recomping like that's that, like a very slight deficit or a bit or a maintenance again, that it's like something that we talk about a lot, but it's because we are so focused on the training side of things and the way people are fueling themselves. Right. And really making sure that again, your intensity and your execution and your actual program is so specific to what you need. Um, whereas if you don't have those things dialed in, I think it's a lot harder for people to actually see like that maintenance recomp people want, but again, also understand you're not going to lose fat there. So if it's like, I have decent, and like in that case specifically, um, I think like that maintenance recomp is a good now, again, like already, like if you're in the twenties, just you're a pretty lean person, but still I would probably lean more towards just get, get in a deficit and you'll still recomp. You'll still build muscle. Do you have a different take on that? No, I think that's just way more efficient. Like mm -hmm. you're, you're going to do things so much quicker. Um, and it's so hard. It's so easy to lose motivation whenever you're trying to recomp at maintenance because things just happen so slow and muscle gain is so slow anyway, that doing it without a slight surplus, um, is, is even slower. And it's just like, if you're not seeing the payoff of what you're doing, it's so much easier to slip. So, um, if you just get into a deficit, like, like you said, you're going to see the fat loss each week that you're, you know, as long as adherence is good and all of that, um, you're going to see that, that feedback pretty immediately. And then you'll be able to get to the place where you're as lean as you want to be. And you can start to more productively build muscle by getting into that slight surplus. So it's just, yeah, it's just kind of like way, way, way drawing out the process, trying to do it at maintenance. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, again, I think for recomp gets talked about a lot, but I don't think like a, I think there's very few situations where like a true like recomp phase where it's not like, I, I guess the maintenance phase we talked about would again probably be that, but like if it's going to be like, hey, and the priority here is fat loss over this person, I don't really like to mess around with, okay, we're just going to do like a very small deficit, right? Because again, it's like, so now we're going to spend like 20 to 24 weeks in a deficit rather than what if we just got this done in eight to 10 and we spent the other 14 weeks at 
a slight surplus or at least a maintenance, which again, both of which we know are going to be much more conducive to muscle growth. We probably at the end of that 24 week span have a better end result. If we were just able to like, okay, I'm going to do fat loss. Well, I'm going to do this quicker. Still going to build some muscle during that time and actually then have like 14 weeks of well-fueled training versus 24 weeks of mediocrely fueled training. Right. So I, I, I think we're in agreement there. Anything yeah. else to add on that one? No, I have one more question. Take it away. Why do vacuums? And what if you don't do vacuums? <laughs> Most importantly, if you don't do vacuums, um, yeah, probably it'll be exactly like you are right now. If you currently don't do vacuums, um, I don't think anything will change there if you continue not to, but do you want to take that one? I don't, I think you have better insight into this than I do. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, if you don't do them, it's, it's kind of like, what if I don't do bicep curls, like your biceps are just not going to get bigger or stronger. <laughs> um, so you're, if you aren't happy with your core control, then that's not going to improve if you don't work it, but why do them? Um, it just improves your core control and strengthens your TVA. So your, uh, your TVA is the muscle underneath your rectus abdominis that kind of helps hold everything in. So like, for example, if you're as you go along the day, if you notice your belly kind of sticks out more and more across the day, but it's not bloat, it's just like distension that is coming from a weaker TVA and you don't have like the core control to keep that pulled in. Um, so it, it improves that and strengthens your TVA helps improve the, the like connection to that muscle. So then whenever you go do other TVA exercises, you, get better engagement and better contraction with it. And they are more effective. So, I mean, that's it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it'd be very beneficial. Again, I would definitely give it a try. If something that you're curious, <laughs> um, follow along on Andrea's journey, but yeah, uh, that is all we have for this time. Correct. You don't have any more. Nope. That was it. Cool. Well, as always, we appreciate you guys tuning in. If you enjoy the show, leave us a five-star rating and review. If you would like to apply to work with our team, just hit the link in the show notes. Um, and then finally, if you have questions that you want us to answer on this podcast, uh, there is another link in the show notes that'll take you to a Q&A form. You can just submit your questions there. But as always, we appreciate you all listening and we will catch everyone next time.